I'm Tanya Mosley. In 1987, my sister Anita vanished without a trace. Decades later, thanks to DNA, we found her. But that's only the beginning of the story. She Has a Name is a new audio documentary that explores the search for redemption, confronting trauma, and healing in the face of unimaginable loss. Subscribe now to Truth Be Told Presents She Has a Name, where every revelation brings us closer to the truth. Today is Sunday, November 29th, 2020. On this day in 1994, 41-year-old waitress and mother, Julianne Stallman, was murdered in her kitchen in Butte, Montana. Her case is still unsolved to this day. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a Spotify original from Parcast. Due to the graphic nature of today's crimes, listener discretion is advised. Extreme caution is advised for listeners under 13. Today we're covering the unsolved murder of Julianne Stallman. Let's go back to Butte, Montana on November 29, 1994, a little after 6 p.m. Twenty-two-year-old John Stallman was driving home after a long day at work. He lived with his mother, 41-year-old Julianne Stallman, and over the past week, she had already begun decorating the home for Christmas. Julianne loved Christmas, Thanksgiving, the 4th of July, every holiday where her family got together. But Christmas was by far her favorite. The cheer, the lights, the colors, all with the people she loved. In her eyes, Christmas deserved a whole month of celebration. As John entered the home, this became even more obvious. The living room was meticulously cleaned and decorated. Everything was in its proper place. The Christmas tree stood in the corner, gifts placed beneath it, stockings on the mantel, family pictures lined the walls. A large package, freshly wrapped, sat on the table. John smiled as he approached the present, but his smile quickly turned to ghastly horror. As he rounded the corner towards the kitchen, he saw his mother sprawled across the kitchen floor, pools of her blood coating the ground. In fact, her blood was splattered everywhere. The fridge, the cabinets, the walls, all were speckled in crimson red, barely congealing into a dark, grotesque brown. A bloody handprint was smeared on the kitchen doorframe. It seemed his mother had tried to escape her fate and failed. Overwhelmed with horror, John couldn't bear to look at his mother's corpse. Instead, he called the police. Upon arriving at the crime scene, they discovered several crucial details. First, they saw that Julianne had been viciously attacked with some sort of sharp-edged weapon. Her throat had been deeply cut, to the point where she was nearly decapitated, and her body had been stabbed multiple times. Blood was mostly concentrated into two large pools, one near the fridge, one near the kitchen door. Julianne's body was laid out in the center of the kitchen, the blood pattern seemed to indicate that she'd been in a prolonged fight with her attacker. 
First, she was stabbed by the fridge. Then she tried to flee. Before she could escape, her killer pulled her back into the kitchen as she left her bloody handprint on the doorframe. The murder weapon seemed to have come from Julianne's own home. Her knife block was missing a single knife, and it was nowhere to be found. It seemed likely that the killer had taken it with them. This implied that Julianne had allowed her killer into her home, only for the villain to snap, grab one of her knives, and attack her in a fit of rage. But although the killer took the murder weapon with them, they did leave something behind. The kitchen sink was soaked with blood, and a stained washcloth sat in the basin. Beneath the sink, a floor mat was stained with blood in a strange pattern. Detectives bagged the rag and the floor mat and sent both to the DNA testing labs. The tests revealed that the blood belonged to an unknown man, someone who was not related to Julianne, someone who clearly should not have been in her kitchen. For small-town Butte, the brutality of Julianne's murder was shocking. The local police department was determined to catch her killer, but the investigation would prove far more difficult than they had expected. Even though they might have had the killer's DNA, their search was far from over. We'll discuss the investigation into Julianne Stallman's death after this. Listeners, here's a new show I can't wait for you to check out. When it comes to love, every story is unique. Some play out like fairy tales, seemingly meant to be. Others defy the odds to achieve happily ever after. In Our Love Story, the newest Spotify original from Parcast, you'll discover the many pathways to love, as told by the actual couples who found them. Every Tuesday, Our Love Story celebrates the ups, downs, and pivotal moments that turn complete strangers into perfect pairs. Each episode offers an intimate glimpse inside a real-life romance, with couples recounting the highlights and hardships that define their love. Whether it's a chance encounter, a former friendship, or even a former enemy, our love story proves that love can begin and blossom in the most unexpected ways. Follow Our Love Story free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Now back to the story. On November 29, 1994, 22-year-old John Stallman returned home to find his mother 41-year-old Julianne Stallman murdered on the kitchen floor. She'd been brutally attacked, stabbed over 25 times with her own knife, and nearly decapitated. Thanks to DNA testing, police found an unknown man's blood in the kitchen sink. This should have made finding her killer that much simpler. However, Julianne's life was anything but simple. Julianne's children and sisters described her as one of the kindest, most fun-loving, and family-centered people they knew. But she also had a penchant for getting herself into trouble, especially when it came to her love life. Julianne had dated many men, most significantly her ex-husband, Van Stallman. Van owned the bar where Julianne worked as a waitress. What began as a simple work fling turned into a years-long marriage. Yet their partnership wouldn't last. 
After some time, Van and Julianne divorced, leaving Julianne to raise her teenage kids alone. Both Van and Julianne began dating around, and eventually Van remarried a woman named Sherry. Yet shortly after the wedding, Van and Julianne began an illicit on-again-off-again -again affair. Julianne had gotten herself into a love triangle with her ex-husband. But the drama didn't stop there. When she wasn't seeing Van, Julianne was also seeing other men on the side. One was a man named Brian Skinner. After meeting at a bar, Brian and Julianne dated on and off for two years. But in that same time, Brian was also dating several other women. His most significant girlfriend was a woman named Janie LaProuse. And Jamie was not fond of Julianne. Once, Jamie confronted Julianne at a bar, telling Julianne to stay away from Brian. Allegedly, Jamie even threatened to tear off Julianne's head and defecate in her throat if Julianne didn't back off. The whole affair was a whirlwind of jealousy. Brian made his own threats to Julianne. He demanded that she stop seeing Van or he would leave her for good. Van's wife demanded that Julianne also stop seeing Van, reportedly making violent threats of her own. Julianne's love life was truly complicated. The investigators who discovered all of these tangled relationships found themselves wondering which of these jilted lovers might have been responsible for Julianne's death. To make matters more interesting, Julianne's daughter gave the officers an anonymous letter that Brian had given her. Addressed to Brian, it told him that she had been cheating on him on an undisclosed weekend. The letter appeared to have been written by a woman, and it was obvious that she had been following Julianne from a distance. This level of stalking behavior certainly raised eyebrows at the station. Investigators almost had too many persons of interest. Thankfully, they had one surefire way of eliminating suspects from the list, the male DNA found at the scene of the crime. Given that the DNA belonged to a man, suspicion fell on Brian and Van, her two jealous lovers. Police were sure they'd caught their culprit when both of them submitted their DNA for testing. Officers waited patiently while the lab assembled their genetic profiles, but they were disappointed to find that neither man's DNA matched the material found at the crime scene. With Brian and Van crossed off the list, police checked the killer's genetic profile against all criminal records in the nation, and they didn't find a single match. Julianne's possible killer had never broken the law before, or at least, he had never been caught. With no other leads, Julianne's murder remains unsolved to this day. Her daughter is currently older than she was when she died, and her family still longs for justice. Their only hope is that someday, someway, somehow, Julianne's killer will slip up, and his DNA once again will fall into police possession. But until that day comes, Julianne's death remains shrouded in mystery.
Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to check out Unsolved Murders on Spotify. Today in True Crime is a Spotify original from Parcast. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other Parcast originals for free on Spotify. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Juan Borda, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Bruce Katovich. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Giles Hovseth, with writing assistance by Alex Benedon, and fact-checking by Bennett Logan. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Don't forget to check out Our Love Story, the newest Spotify original from Parcast. Every Tuesday, discover the many pathways to love, as told by the actual couples who found them. Listen to Our Love Story, free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.